All right, so as Pastor Peek discussed, uh, this will be my last Sunday installment as the intern, but I'm very grateful, thankful for everything that we've done this summer, every Tuesday. It's going to be a bittersweet ending. My uh, weeks are going to get a lot lighter between work and my internship and everything, so I won't have those uh, meetings, which will be the bitter part. It will mean less coffee, so that is kind of a sweet part, so... (laughs) Uh, but I am very grateful for everything that we have done and done this summer. And it's been, like I said, a very busy summer between my internship here, uh, the opportunities I had to serve, the uh, time I've spent working at Chick-fil-A, and also I took a driving school in July with Mr. Sabadino. A lot of you may know him. Great guy. And uh, my schedule will get a little lighter. But through this, the Lord has laid on my heart the topic of Christ's sufficiency. I want you to turn your... Bibles to Philippians 3, and that's where we're going to be uh, reading today. We're going to start in verse 7 and continue on to verse 11. So it'll be Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray. Father, as we... Approach your word as we seek to know the intricacies and what you want to teach us today. Be with us, Lord. Uh, Open our minds, our hearts with your spirit, and bless us, Lord. Help us to glorify you and gain the knowledge that you want to pass to us through this passage. Lord, we love you. Help us through this passage to love you more. See your son's name. Now, in our modern society, we often have a lot of distractions or things that Paul didn't really have in his day whether it be a chip that you can put in your hand that has all your medical information and financial info. You walk into the grocery store, they say, will this be cash or credit? And you're like, no, I have my hand. So you swipe your hand and you pay in that way. Or if it's an app that gets you to go walking places that normally you don't go walking in the first place, or you go places walking that you never would have walked to in the first place, catching things, creatures, that only exist through your phone. Uh, It's actually a pretty fun game. But... All that aside, uh, we have some distractions in our day that Paul didn't necessarily have in his day. Uh, One thing that was a distraction in Paul's day, we could use as an example, that is discussed earlier on in this passage that we will go to for context, is the topic of heritage. Heritage isn't really as big of a deal nowadays, because if you're anything like me, you're mixed with Italian and Irish and English and all these things. When you're a person, people say, oh, you have a variety of stuff going on with you. However, if you're a dog, they'd call you a mutt. It's an interesting parallel that you have going on here. But uh, I guess in modern day comparison would be our American pride, our American heritage. I'm proud to be an American. So that's a way we can identify with the distraction or a thing that's going on in Paul's day of heritage. Now, Paul, in this passage, isn't saying that heritage is a bad thing. He's not even saying, you know, you've got to forsake your identity completely and everything that's going on and your family, your friends in order to be a Christian. He's just talking about, in this passage, the topic of distractions. 
Another idea is a certain campus here in Greenville, if you hear the name Jones, you start to assume, hmm, I wonder if they might be related to a certain so-and-so. Even though it's an absurdly common name, uh, I too myself find the distraction of thinking, oh, that last name is Jones. I too wonder if they're related to the football player Jacoby Jones as well. (laughs) But normally that's not the case. Uh, But we have in this passage to say in large that society can get distracted. It doesn't take much. It boils down to what gets the majority of our time and the majority of our attention. I'm not here to say that you can't enjoy these things. I'm not saying that you must leave your family and your job and forsake everything in order to be a Christian for the cause of Christ, because that's clearly what this passage is saying. No. What is, this isn't at all what is going on in this passage. Saying all I have is Christ is not something you say when Christ is all you have. What this passage is disgusting, discussing is saying that all I have is Christ despite all of these things that I have going on that nothing competes with Christ. So, what do you value? Let's get some context for our passage today and jump back to verses 3 through 6. Starting in verse 3. For we are the true... Well, actually, go back to verse 2. My apologies. Uh, Verse 2. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Just pause right there for a second. What he's discussing here is... The Philippian church was facing the trial of Judaizers, people that said you needed both the law and Jesus to be saved. You had this group of people coming into a primarily Gentile church telling them, you need to be circumcised as well to be saved. So Paul goes on, and this is who Paul's referring to as these false prophets. Those are the false circumcision. Verse 3, For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. I want you to remember that word confidence. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Remember, this is Paul speaking. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and not automatically assume that he might be showing off here. So he goes on to say, he turns it to view on him, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Now, like I said before we accuse Paul of showing off, let's remember we are in taking a set of verses out of an entire book of context. What we had here going on is these Judaizers were coming into the church of Philippi and essentially throwing their Jewishness in the face of the Gentile believers there. They were telling them, oh, well, In a sense, you're not as important as us because we're Jewish. You're not circumcised, so you're not really saved. Paul says, wait, hold on a moment. If someone wants to brag about being Jewish, am I not more Jewish than all of these? I have been circumcised since the—I was circumcised the eighth day, meaning he was following the Jewish law since the beginning of his life. He goes on to say that he is of the nation of Israel. A lot of these Judaizers were converted into Judaism. They weren't even born into it. So Paul even goes further to say of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was not only a prominent tribe, but the fact that Paul even knew what tribe he was from was a big deal. A Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. Paul essentially had everything going for him that he could. Everything possible, that anything that would be worthy of mentioning of merit, Paul had it. If there was one man that could have saved himself through his works or through merit alone, it would have been Paul. And that's what Paul is saying to these believers at, uh, in the Philippian church. He's saying, 
if these people are bragging to you, and I'm telling you you're saved by grace through faith, shouldn't I, wouldn't I be the one throwing, and if you were to be saved by works and faith, wouldn't I be the one telling you that? I have it all. So don't listen to these false teachers. These things listed above have no bearing on Paul's salvation. What he is listing out here, and as we go on into our verse and our passage uh, a little later on, is that these things that could be counted as merit have no bearing on Paul's salvation, nor should they worry that they, since they don't have these things, that they are not saved. If there was any human capable in the universe of saving himself, it would have been Paul. If there's anybody that could have found rest or satisfaction in his family, in his accomplishments, if someone could get into heaven on merit alone, Paul could have done it. But these things are lost. These things are rubbish. These things that could save, that, these things that could be seen as precious or valuable or something that could sustain you or save you are flipped side down and not only counted as nothing, but they are further counted as rubbish. The, it's the absurdity of the idea that these things could compete with Jesus Christ. Paul says these things are rubbish. These things do not compare. Now, he's not saying cut these things out of your life. He's not saying, uh, he's not saying make sure you live as a hermit and you do all these things. And the only thing you're focused uh, thinking about every single second of every day is Jesus. What he's saying is despite having all these things, all I have is Christ. That is who I rely on. That is who I put my value in. So my question this morning is, what do we value? Who do we value? It's not a bad thing to have family. It's not a bad thing to have friends, pets, other things going on in our lives. Football. I love football. But when we start placing value in it and our satisfaction is determined by whether our favorite team won or lost or uh, whether our family is you know, there or how good our kids are behaving, that's not what it comes down to. Our value forever and should be Jesus Christ. Now, verse 8 has an interesting phrase in our passage that says, more than that. More than that, we kind of gloss over that. It's just three words. However, in the Greek, it is a phrase that uh, isn't translated into English very well or very easily for that matter. Uh, But what is going on here is a line of Greek particles. And it literally translates, if you'll read with me your passage, uh, but indeed, therefore, at least even I count all these things to be lost. It's a lot of jumbling going on, a lot of stress. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to stress the fact that I have all these things going on. I have all this merit, but it's nothing. Jesus is everything, and these things are nothing when compared to Christ. Uh, Paul is stressing that these things do not cause God to bat an eye. God doesn't look at these things and say, oh, Paul is more righteous than Tyler because Paul has this merit. No. He looks at you. He looks at me. He looks at everyone and determines whether or not they have Jesus. Because Jesus is the sufficiency for salvation and righteousness. Now, what do we rely on? Whether they are intents, or people, or even acts of service that we do. Sometimes we can develop a sense of righteousness that come from our acts of service. This is a fallacious example, but even Bible study, doing Christian things. Uh, say, oh, I got up at 6 I'm pr- this morning and I finished my devotions. I'm feeling pretty righteous today. Another person's like, well, you woke, you woke up at six, I woke up at five, and I was done before you even woke up. It's a fallacious example, but we can't use Bible study or prayer or going to church as a sense of merit. If we want to discuss merit, again, Paul, he did more than his devotions. He had the entire Torah memorized, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
I have to think to make sure I'm saying them in the right order, much less thinking that I have them memorized. So whether they are intents, whether they are people or things that we have going on in our lives, our sufficiency is found in Christ. And Paul isn't displaying here that he is better than us, but rather what we find our righteousness in should forever and only be in the work of Jesus Christ. It does not matter how good our kids are, how hard we work in school, or how many hours we work in a work week. No, that isn't to say that these aren't good things. It's just they have no merit with God. What we place our value in and what we place our righteousness in, satisfaction or worth, whether good or bad, affects our relationship with Christ. God does not cut the cord with us, for he is forever faithful. He is faithful to us when we are unfaithful. But how can we know Jesus Christ when we don't have him as our treasure? If we place other things as our treasure, then we cannot fully know Christ. We cannot serve two masters. It is either Jesus Christ or the world. And this is not to say that you have to go to the extreme of cutting everything out of your life. Paul was still a Hebrew. He did not stop being Hebrew or Jewish or forsake his heritage. These were still things he possessed. However, these things did not possess him. In order to know Jesus fully, only he can be our treasure. He must be the only thing we value. So in establishing that Jesus Christ is our treasure and in him him alone, we confess that he is everything to us, that we run to him for our every need. I know this next top can lead to a slippery slope, so I will preface it after I ask you the questions. If you are working, why? Why are you working? Now, working for the cause of Christ is not a bad thing. Doing, you know, righteous acts, righteous works, serving Christ is not bad. It is actually commanded. It is something that is good. It's something we are to do. However, it is not the main thing. The phrase here, if we look down at our Bibles at verse 9, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the phrase here in him in verse 9 is a familiar phrase that we are familiar with in Paul's letters. It is to give you the concept or the idea that we are intertwined with Christ, that we are one with Christ. It is a personal, intimate relationship. The righteousness we have received is not something we have obtained, but rather something we have been given. It is something that we did not do to deserve or earn. If anyone could have earned salvation, it would have been Paul. He worked and worked tirelessly prior to his salvation, seeking a righteousness, as he says, that stemmed from the law rather than the, and the works of the law. It was futile, and it was empty, and it did not work. If we are working, then why are we working? What is our intent? What are we seeking to gain? If you are a believer here today and you're working to gain some sort of extra righteousness, it doesn't exist. All the righteousness we have has stemmed from Jesus Christ. We have been placed, the place, Jesus Christ's righteousness has been placed on us. We can now, righteousness gives the idea or the concept of that we can stand in right standing with God. That means that we can stand where Christ stood in God's presence because Christ stood in sin's presence for us. Righteousness comes completely from Christ, and there's nothing that we can do to gain more or gain less. Um, what was it? Last week, I was walking out of Olive Garden, and I'll admit, I was trying to catch a Pokemon from my phone. I swiped too hard, and the phone literally flew out of my hand. I just took the screen protector off the, a few days early because it was just too dirty. It was, I clipped cleaning and cleaning it. It was time to get a new one. And the phone case was busted to the point that it was glued six times. 
So I thought it would be enough to protect it. Well, as soon as it goes flying, I'm watching it kind of slow motion. It's falling out of my hand. The phone flies out of the phone case because the top came off and lands face first into the ground. Needless to say, it was smashed. Yes, it was an iPhone, Samsung lovers. So, uh, but anyways, fortunately, I had a phone upgrade. I was able to just go get a new phone. Yes, an iPhone. Uh, upgraded my phone, sold the old one, and was able to get a new phone case and a new uh, screen protector for my phone. You ask me, okay, what does this have to do with the Word of God? It does. No, I'm just kidding. It does. All right, so what I have going on here is I got a new phone case, and I wanted something that reminded me and pointed me toward Christ. On the back, it says tetelestai. It comes from John 19.30. Tetelestai is the Greek word that Jesus Uh, that is written in the Greek New Testament, that says, it literally translates, it is finished. It is also uh, what bankers and those in those times would use to stamp on documents saying, paid in full. That means that when Christ said, it is finished on the cross, that's all that is needed. That means it is paid in full. There's nothing we can do to seek to gain any more righteousness. Now, if you are working, there's nothing you can do to earn more righteousness. Stop it. I like the idea of instead of working, serving. I know, not to get into a battle of uh, idiosyncrasies and stuff. I'm not going to get on you if you say, oh, I'm working for the cause of Christ. That's fine. Uh, But the idea more so, I would say, is serving. I'm serving for Christ because I'm not looking to gain anything. I'm just looking to glorify him that saved me. If you are a believer, you already are righteous. You don't gain any extra measures of righteousness by working. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want you to know that the only way for you to gain this right standing with God is through Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can do or that can be done to save you. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. If you are restless, whether you know Christ or not, it is only in Christ that you can find rest. And this is by knowing him. And this is why Paul is emphasizing here in our passage the importance of knowing Christ. Rest can only come from knowing Christ, and knowing Christ only comes from Christ being your everything, your all, everything that encompasses you. He wants to know you. It is not something you must work for or even something you can work for. The work is completed. All that is left, if you are not a believer, is submission. Submitting to Christ declares that even though I have all this stuff going on in my life, even though I am a sinner— Christ is enough to save me. Christ is enough to complete me. It is a choice to follow him and sacrifice, and to sacrifice control it to him. And if you're in this situation, I urge you to look toward him, to submit and declare that Jesus is enough for me. And that is the beauty of verse 10. Knowing Jesus is the foremost important thing in the universe it is a relational, it is a personal knowing. You can know of Christ But until you know Christ, you cannot understand the work that he went through to save you. In verse 10, we see the basis of our faith, the work that gives us hope for life after death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus died and was raised from the dead is the one point in history that was able to save past, present, and future mankind. God did this work so that we, that we, that way we may know him, so that we may enjoy him. Christ is enough for your enjoyment, your excitement, your satisfaction, your peace, your rest, your comfort. He is there for every trial of your life. He doesn't abandon you for the good times. He did not save you and say, okay, I saved him. Now I'm going to leave you to life to figure out the rest. 
Not only is he sufficient at salvation, but he is sufficient to sustain you through life. He is enough for every part of our lives. Christ's sufficiency, sufficiency should be at the facet of every part of our life. If we place our value and satisfaction in Jesus Christ, then we know rest, we know peace. If we don't, that's when, as believers, we grow anxious. That is when we grow stressed and tired. We are all familiar with the passage uh, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I know none of us here are completely perfect with that. None of us completely rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, we all drive in Greenville. There's not typically a lot of rejoicing going on when you're driving in Greenville. It's pretty hard, but... And a lot of times we grow discouraged. If I'm not always, you know, happy, if I'm not always on, if I'm not always content in Christ, I get discouraged. I get to the point where, okay, I'm letting Jesus down. I'm not here to say that if you're not rejoicing in the Lord always, then, hey, you better, you better get right. You better, you're letting Jesus down. You're being illogical. I'm not going to say that to you. Because God doesn't look at us and say, why is he not resting in me today? Why are you not content with me, Tyler? I'm really regretting saving him. No. God has not once looked at anyone in this room that is a believer and said, I regret saving you. He is always there for us and wants us to look at him for sufficiency. He does not abandon us in our time of need. He wants us to know him. He wants us to appreciate him. Because when we find him sufficient in all things, then that is when we can bring glory to his name. That is when we grow happy. That's when we grow joyful. That's when we are more relaxed. And we are more capable of fulfilling his will on earth. Now, I don't know personally what everyone in this room might be going through. I don't pretend to understand all the emotional tensions or anxieties that everyone in this room is undergoing. I'm not here to smack you upside the head and say, hey, listen, uh, you're letting Jesus down. You just need to just trust Jesus. I'm not here to tell you you're being illogical by saying uh, you're not relying on Christ. No. Because your problems right now are real. Your life is real. You are real. And that is why I love you. That is why God loves you. He's not here looking at you saying, oh, well, you have, if you're a believer, you have heaven ahead of you. Why are you stressed out? No. He is here. He is a very now God. He is here and now wanting to be there for you so he can be sufficient to sustain you. God wants you to look at him for your sufficiency. He's not looking at you with disappointment. He's looking at you wanting to help you, loving you, desiring you, feeling compassion towards you. You are very real and your trials and pain are real. That doesn't mean that there isn't a solution. That's why we have here in verse 11 the hope that we get to look forward to. We have established now that Paul is the model apostle, uh, really the model Christian in many ways, and he has more merit than we could have ever hoped for. However, he goes on to meekly say here in verse 11, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, the one who has all the merit of the world, is saying, I'm not worthy of this resurrection. So why do we grow discouraged? Jesus Christ is our sufficiency. Jesus Christ is the one from whom we obtain all righteousness. So now we can look forward to a heavenly place. We can look forward to the heavenly city and forever be with him. What it means is that Christ was not only sufficient to save you at salvation, he was sufficient to sustain you throughout life since you know him as we look forward to spending eternity with him. However big your trials may seem, Christ is bigger. However stressed or overwhelmed you may be, 
Christ's sufficiency can overwhelm even that. Jesus loves you, and those are the greatest words I can ever say to you. I could go on and rant theologically for days and days, but if I misunderstand the concept of Jesus' love, then I'm missing the entire big picture. Do we look forward to spending eternity with him? Do we look forward to forever being in that love of Christ? Are we, as a people, excited about heaven? If we trust Christ as our sufficiency, we can cast off any and all distractions that the devil tries to send our way to take our eyes off that vision. His sufficiency is like a canopy that protects us from the fiery darts of Satan. And that way we can look to him, and so he can protect us. And I know life can be distracting. Things can get in our way. Stress can be overwhelming. We may seem like we cannot enjoy some of the things in life because we have to give it all up to be a Christian. As I said earlier, saying all I have is Christ is not something when you say when Christ is all you have. Rather, you say all I have is Christ when despite all these things, Christ is all I have. Christ is, it's when you say, Christ is my all. Christ is my joy. Christ is my life. It's when you say, Jesus Christ is my God. No matter what you have going on or what we may be going through, Christ is there for you and with you. Our walk with Christ is not about being perfect. I mean, if it was about being perfect, again, Paul could have saved himself, but he didn't. Christ already was and is perfect. Being a Christian isn't about what you can do. It's already done, and Christ did it. There is no greater satisfaction or joy in this world than knowing Jesus Christ, for he looked down on us with mercy and with love. He is sufficient to guide you. He is sufficient to sustain you. He, is suffi- he was sufficient to save you, and he's sufficient to carry you through every trial, every burden, everything that you might have going on in your life. It is not based on how adequate you are or how you measure up. That means it does not matter how you walked in here today, but rather it matters that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he bled and he died, and he rose again, so that way we can all look to him and say, Jesus is sufficient for me, and cry out that Jesus is our God. Jesus is sufficient for every facet of our life. Jesus is everything and all that there ever will be. Jesus is enough. Let us pray. Father, often we fall short. Often that we do miss the mark. And praise be to you that it is not about us, but rather it is about you. It is about what you do for us and what you've done for us. Lord, your sufficiency is all that we need. We need you, Lord. Help us to desire you more. Without that desire, no matter how much we need you, we can never fully appreciate you, Lord. Lord, we need to love you. Guide us to love you even more and more each day. Help us to fall hopelessly more in love with you. Lord, you are sufficient. Constantly remind us of that. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more. It's through your son's name.